welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Inside and Outside the Church is the title of this eighth message in the Great Mystery Series. Pastor Ben Pitney is going to speak from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Hey, welcome this morning. We're so glad that you tuned in uh, to the worship service at Vail Christian Church today. I'm going to talk about uh, a really cool character out of a children's book, and uh, he's a bear, and in, and it's a book called Bear Shadow. And so I would love for you to tune into that. We put a link in there, and um, the Bear Shadow is is a really fun children's book. And the reason why I like Bear Shadow is because not only is it for preschool through kindergarten, maybe first grade, but then you can get your younger children who are a little bit older than that to read it to your preschool through first grade children. And it's about 32 pages long, and it's got great illustration. And this guy named Frank Ash, he he does a series of these books. I just really like them. He wrote this book in about 1988, something like that, and it was published in the late 80s, early 90s, and into the 2000s. It's been republished multiple times. And then there's this really cool lady called, uh, her name is Grandma Annie, and she reads these stories on YouTube. And so we put that link in there too, because um, that is really fun, really cool um, to listen to her because she does all the voices and things. So I really love how Um, your kids might be able to connect to this, especially younger kids today. First thing I want to do, though, really, is um, I want to read from Colossians. So in this series called The Great Mystery, and we're in chapter 2, and today um, we're going to start at verse 16 in chapter 2, and there's some really good things that I think are going to happen. We're going to draw the truth out of the text, and then, like I always do, say, what does this have to do with me? We want to apply it to our lives. And I think worship today is going to help with that. Let me just start with reading it. In verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast, new moon, or Sabbath days. These are only the shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. Let no one who delights in false humility and the worship of angels pass judgment on you. That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he is puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind. He's not held fast to the head from whom the whole body supported and knit together through its ligaments and sinews grows with a growth that is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, founded as they are on human commands and teachings. Even though they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and humility achieved by an unsparing treatment of the body. 
wisdom with no true value, they in reality result in fleshly indulgence. So let's just kind of unpack that today. And so, you know, really what I'm going to begin talking about today is living in, in another world. That's what Paul's after. He's after to teach us about living in another world, the world of shadows. That's what he, uh, how he describes it. It's a religious world. And he's addressing issues of legalism and being judgmental and false spirituality. And so if you've spent any time in church or you've spent any time with church people or Christ followers and their environments, right? You know that these issues are really practical. The church is an imperfect place. We mess things up all the time. It's a group of sinful people trying to make it, um, make it work and live the right way, but we're awfully hard on each other, and sometimes we should be. But as we look at these verses, we're going to see a warning not to continue living in the world of shadows. We'll see Paul explain why we don't live in that world anymore, and we'll see a picture of what it means to live in this new world that Christ has opened up for us. So we go back to this children's book called Bear Shadow. It's a story about a bear who discovers his shadow. Now, he's fishing in the morning in this pond, and his shadow is scaring the fish. And so it's starting to bother him, right? He's really bothered by the shadow, so he tries to run away from it. He tries to hide from it and even outsmart it but nothing works, right? And we know nothing works, but he's not understanding that until just now, right? And so through this story, you see the challenges that this bear faces as he tries to get rid of this shadow, but he just can't seem to do it. And it's because shadows are kind of a curious thing, right? On one, le- on one level, they're really simple. It's just, it's just a spot where direct light has been blocked, it's no big deal. But on another level, they're kind of mysterious, and they're sometimes even bad. And um, it, they could even be described, um, uh, we think they're evil. So utilize these links with your kids. I think you'll have a lot of fun. And I think you'll like this person called Grandma Annie's uh, Annie because she has this story time, and she does all the voices, and she's pretty fun, actually. She's funny to listen to. Anyway, let's start right here. Don't live in the shadows. And we want to look at the first four verses of this section. And this is where Paul sets up the contrast, and he frames his discussion in this whole section. And we're introduced to the world of shadows right here. So let's just start at verse 16, Colossians chapter 2. And he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast new moon, or Sabbath days. These are only the shadow of things to come, but the reality is Christ. That's really important right there that he says that. So then he goes on, he says, let no one who delights in humility and worship of angels pass judgment on you. That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he's puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind. He's not held fast to the head from whom the whole body supported by and knit together through its ligaments and sinews grows with a growth that's from God. So Paul has two different instructions right here that he gives to the Colossians and they are for us as well, right? 
And the first one refers to religious attitudes that we encounter within the church. And the second one talks about religious attitudes that we encounter outside of the church in the world. Both of them have to do with shadows of a true reality and have to do with losing your hold or losing hold of Christ. So the first one we're going to talk about, I'm just going to call it churchy rules, (laughs) churchy rules or legalism. This is his first instruction. It's not to let anyone judge you according to certain standards, certain things, right? And we set these up all the time. The specific things that he lists are ones that apply to us in our culture, but they they are all religious standards that certain groups adhere to. Churchy rules, right? Paul was probably talking about specific things that the false teachers in Colossae were using as a way to judge true belief. It's legalism, judging someone else based on religious rules of what it's supposed to look like in particular to be a Christ follower. And we all have them. Whether we think it or not, we all have them. And it's probably been a while since someone judged you for not making an appearance at a new moon festival, right? But I'm sure it hasn't been long since you've felt judged by someone, uh, someone's particular religious standard. It may have been, been even recently that you judged somebody else. And here's what I think about following Christ. It, ha- it has an effect when you give your life to Christ, it has an effect on how you spend money and think about money because we've all been seeing in in Colossians, being a Christ follower affects every aspect of our being. So when you give your life to Christ, you are changed and Jesus has an impact on you. It's going to affect each of us in, in, in a unique way. I met with someone early on in my career as a really young pastor. And in my meeting, He picked me up and I got in his car and it was a Mercedes, a beautiful Mercedes, right? And it caused me to think a lot about money. This is a person that was a really effective spiritual leader in my life, right? It caused me to think about how it looked to people and as a pastor, how it looked maybe if I were to be driving a Mercedes, right? So I was thinking, is it okay for a Christ follower to drive a Mercedes? As a young pastor, I mean, honestly, I was wondering about that. I was thinking, are Christ followers supposed to not to be not to be materialistic, right? Could a person that was serious about their faith really drive a Mercedes, a really expensive Mercedes, by the way? Did that make them materialistic? These are all the things I'm asking myself. So one of the problems with thinking like this is finding where to draw the line. Let me let me paint the picture even further. If it's not okay to drive a Mercedes, what about a Toyota? Is it, is it okay to drive just a Toyota, a regular Toyota, like a Toyota Camry? Or what about driving an older Mercedes? Maybe that would be okay. Which is more spiritual? What about a beat-up Mercedes over a brand-new Toyota? Which one would be better and more spiritual to drive? Or maybe Christ followers should only drive American cars, American-made cars. <laughs> Or are we all supposed to drive hybrids because Christ followers are supposed to care about the environment? (laughs) But wait a minute, hybrid cars are generally more um, expensive, all right? They're more expensive, so uh, they cost more, and we're not supposed to be materialistic, 
So maybe Christ followers shouldn't drive hybrids, hybrids, right? Um, but cheap cars often burn more gas, so maybe we should just all ride bicycles. <laughs> but some bicycles cost a lot of money. You see, this is one of the big issues here. When you start thinking in this way, there's no end to it. You can't win. The sad reality is these types of religious attitudes permeate most church communities. And we begin to go down this road and start thinking like this all the time. So here's the thing. A deeply personal change that is very much within us begins when you start following Jesus, when you start following Christ. A cosmic allegiance on a very profound spiritual dimension happens as well. And the problem is that it's very hard for me to look at you and see on the outside, all right, what's going on deeply within you. I can't tell. I'm not sure just by looking at the outside. So that's why I began to evaluate, right? And I get good at evaluating actually, right? I love to evaluate. We love to evaluate people or you could say calibrate people based on the outside actually quite a bit. We love to judge. We love to assign grades and come up with rankings, but I can't see your heart. So the only thing that I can use to judge you are the things I see. And since I have this driving need to judge you, I end up using things like what you eat or maybe what you drink or what activities you attend or what car you drive as a way of judging your spirituality. We all get pretty good at this. So let's continue to talk about this shadow world. Look at verse 18, because Paul says that those external measures are only shadows. And this is really important. When you judge people in this way, you're opening, uh, uh, operating in the shadow world. And it's really brilliant what he does in verse 18. Look at verse 18. It says, no one who delights in humility and the worship of angels pass judgment on you. Don't let anybody do that right? That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he's puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind right there. And that's just what we started talking about, right? So a few hundred years earlier, a philosopher named Plato, he said something that most people in Paul's day would be familiar with. He said that everything we experience is really just a shadow of some truer reality. He used what he called the analogy of the cave. Maybe you're familiar with this. It's not super common to be familiar with this unless you're a philosophy major in school, right? But in this analogy, he said that all of us are like prisoners chained, chained against a wall in a cave. And behind us somewhere, somewhere that we can't see is a fire, and in front of that fire are objects, real objects, true reality. But we can't see the objects. All we see is the shadow they cast on the wall of the cave in front of us. This is our reality, he says. It's not really real. It's just shadows of something else that is real. Plato also said, that the philosopher is the one who, who can escape those chains and see the true world of reality. 
seems kind of convenient for him, right? So what Paul does, he takes this idea that people are familiar with and he changes it a little bit. He takes all these religious things that we do, like Sabbath celebrations, new moons, the cars we drive, the books we read, and the songs we sing, and he says that they are the shadows, right? They aren't the real thing, but the real thing isn't behind us. It's not something we can't get to because we're in chains. That's not what he's talking about. The real thing is ahead of us. It's coming. The true reality of what will happen when God's final work of redemption is complete, all right, is in front of us. So so the author of Hebrews, he said something really similar. He talked about the old tabernacle where the Jews used to worship, and he compared it to Jesus, and he says this. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. And in blue, that's where he's quoting from the Old Testament, Exodus 25, 40. So he says, the place where they serve is a sketch and a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. Remember, he's talking about the temple, right? Just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to uh, complete the tabernacle. I meant tabernacle, not temple. The tabernacle became the temple. For he says, see that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. So it's as if Moses, right, was invited into the experience that for us is coming. He saw the real thing and he came back to help describe how to build the tabernacle that was a shadow of the real thing that was to come. That's why there's so much detail in the Old Testament about building it this way or that way. So then Paul, all right, he summarizes by saying that the reality is found literally in the body of Christ. Look at Colossians 2.17. These are only the shadow of things to come, but the reality, what's real, the real thing, is Christ, the body of Christ. So Paul actually uses the Greek word for body right here. And I think Paul is saying that the real world, catch this, because I think this is actually really profound. The real world, the true expression of all things that are coming, right, are also expressed in some form by the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church. The church. Of all the things that we tend to judge people on, so on our, our, our simply shadows of what we actually will experience when Christ returns and what we experience on some level in the church right now. And I think that's huge. I think that's actually really big. That's an incredible thing to say about the church. In the community of Christ, our experience, right, in the body of Christ, in the church, the household of faith, the family of families, all right, Everything that we experience is more real than what we normally experience in everyday life. That makes it all more tragic when we in church, who have the fuller reality, reality, judge each other by the shadows of what we already have in Christ. Why should I judge your spirituality based on what you drink or in what car you drive? It shouldn't even matter when there's something much more real going on between us, right? It's way more real. 
but it's harder to perceive, I guess, and to see and understand. So Paul takes Plato's idea of the shadow world, and he kind of twinks it quite a bit, right? And he says the true reality is coming, and the true reality is found in Christ and his church. And that's why I believe so much that we should be living in a way that is so attractive that people want what we have. Because Paul's instructions to believers is to reject that world of shadows that we used to live in. He says, don't let it rule you. Don't live in the shadows. And so this is something we need to really get. We need to really understand. We need to learn that legalism comes from being um, stuck in the world of shadows. It comes from stubbornly holding on to shadows and hints of true reality instead of being willing to take the time and energy to understand what is really going on spiritually for and with someone. You can't jump judge someone's relationship with God by the events they attend, the car they drive, the food they eat, or the things that they drink and and consume. Let's move on to pick and choose religion or syncretism. He has this second instruction now for the Colossians. He starts talking about false humility and the worship of angels. And these ideas um, from whatever system the false teachers are talking about, that's where they come from. And they're probably something that's, uh, that scholars um, refer to as syncretism. That's why I put it in there, right? Syncretism is, is what happens when people create sort of a pick and choose religion based on ideas that they like from different sources. I think people do this all the time. It's kind of a do-it-yourself religion that makes sense to you because you only select the parts you understand and the parts that you appreciate and the parts that you like. And this is actually a very relevant topic for us, right? If churchy rules or legalism is the biggest threat facing our faith from within the church, then pick and choose religion or syncretism is the biggest threat facing our faith outside the church. One of the most common trends in the world today when you get right down to it, is to claim that all religious systems are basically the same. And this happens most often by identifying a few key ethical values and saying that these are the basis of all religious practice and is just not true. Like truth is all based on ethics. This is what happens when you try to be religious in the shadows Take away where history is headed, the fact that God is going to do something final that will change all of reality. Take away Christ, the unique person who alone is filled with the fullness of God. Without those things, you're left with shadows, religion in the shadows, which is all about ethics and just doing the right thing. What's the big deal then? You, You begin to think with Jesus If you don't do any evil things, what's the big deal? If you volunteer for homeless shelters, and if you're nice to people around you and you're kind, right? Isn't that enough? And besides, a lot of Christ followers are just plain weird. (laughs) That, That may actually be true. I don't know. 
maybe all this focus on Jesus can even draw us away from really doing good in the world sometimes. Maybe we need to move past Jesus to really get it. Maybe Christ is holding us back. We find all kinds of ways to justify this and to begin to think differently. But as soon as you start talking about Christ being unique or how God actually has a plan for history and for history to unfold, then that becomes too much a lot in our world, right? Paul says, when you start talking this way, you've lost contact with Christ. You aren't in Christ who is there at creation, at the beginning Christ, who is supreme over everything, you still think you know Christ, but it's a watered-down version of who he really is. And this is what we've been seeing over and over again as we read through this letter. Walking with Jesus, being in Christ, being connected to Christ as the head. This is the goal. It really is all about Christ. And focusing on the shadows within the church leads to churchy rules (laughs) or legalism. And focusing on shadows outside the church leads to a pick-and-choose religion or syncretism, combining religions into simple ethical systems. Either way, the problem is a disconnection from Jesus, a disconnection from Christ, and losing hold of the one thing that really defines who we are as followers of Christ. And so as Christ followers, we're to hold on to Christ. That's just the one simple rule that we have. And when we stop holding on, we start judging each other according to ridiculous rules, and we construct false ways of thinking about God and the world that we live in. You don't live in the shadows. After telling his people not to live in the shadows, Paul moves on to explain just how it is that these things don't apply to them anymore. Look at starting in verse 20 of chapter 2. Let's start in verse 20 through 23. It says, if you've died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, that's the stuff that we've been talking about, right? Why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He's just like, stay away, would you? These are all destined to perish with use, founded as they are on human commands and teachings. Even though they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility achieved by an unsparing treatment of the body, a wisdom with no true value, they in reality result in fleshly indulgence. So Paul begins by referring back to the idea we talked about even last week, right? Those who believe in Christ have died with him. And here he says that we have died to these elemental spirits or basic principles that we used to believe in, right? Of the world. They're spiritual forces that are opposed to God. These aren't of God. They are the forces that put Christ to death, he's saying. Earlier in his letter, right, Paul explains that Christ is supreme over all these spiritual powers. And here he says that we have died to their authority. They don't have authority in our lives anymore. They have expended all their authority in putting Christ to death, and there isn't anything left for them to do since we joined Christ in his death, right? We're dead to those things. 
There isn't anything more that they can do to us. And that's what Paul's teaching here and saying, you don't belong to the shadows. Paul says that it is those who believe in Christ who see what's real. What's real. That's why it's so important for the Christ follower to be in this world that we live in. Not of it, but in it. You don't live in the shadows anymore. So yet Paul says that his readers are still listening to those voices, still listening to rules and regulations that come from an authority other than Jesus, other than Christ. This applies to us as well. We know that following Christ means that everything is different. We know that it's a radical life decision. And the truth is that he calls us all to make radical decisions as Christ followers, but some of them are less obvious and less external. So we want to make clear radical choices that demonstrate the fact that we are trying to follow God. Don't touch this. Don't taste this. Simple, clear rules that we can use to show ourselves and everybody that is around us that we're serious about following Jesus. But we got to be careful not to focus on the shadow world that we've already died to. Because we know we don't really belong in this world. Peter says we're aliens and strangers in this land, in this world. And that this isn't our home. That we're created to be with Jesus. We're created to be in his presence. So Christ followers sometimes, they decide to check out completely from everything in the world. They don't. They don't touch anything. They don't go out. They don't, they, they, they're not involved with anything outside the church. And this is not what it means to avoid the shadows. Not it at all. Paul says that because we don't belong to the shadows, those things don't have any more power over us anymore, right? The great mystery is that as we choose to live in the world of Christ, we're actually able to engage this world in a deeper and and an actual more meaningful way. Not belonging to the shadows allows us to have real relationship with people who do belong to the shadows right now and live in the shadows. We can do this because we're not tied or or, or enslaved by the same things that they are. We are free and our freedom lets us really engage with people. So what does this have to do with me? So here we go. You ready? Are you holding on to the shadow world? Because it's easy for us to do. You can hold on to it inside church and outside church. And it can have the same result. Those things are perishing. Those things are distracting. Those things get us off track from our mission and our mandate, what we're called to do and be. So are you holding on to those shadows or that shadow world a little bit? Number two, are you holding on to old attitudes, legalistic tendencies, trying to change people by creating strict rules? You know, what are those things for you? What are you, what are you doing? We all do some of those things. And we do it really well inside the church. Number three, in our culture, our jobs, our careers are all performance-based, actually, right? Results-focused and works-oriented. So there's a temptation to incorporate this mentality into our faith as well. We like bring 
the way we operate in this performance mentality into our life as a Christ follower and into church. We make it a pick-and-choose religion, syncretism. I don't know how this looks for you. I can only tell you how it looks for me. So we've got to be really careful of this because it's not a pick-and-choose religion. Number four, the distraction of false teaching is all around us. There's a temptation to add to Christ and add to Christ the things like churchy rules, again, legalism, traditions, rituals, taboos, false teaching, pick and choose religion, syncretism, right? So again, it's just another way of saying this. So let me give you the antidote. That's the last thing. This is the antidote to all these ideas, the fullness of Christ. It's all about the fullness of Christ. Focus on the completeness we have in Christ. He's sufficient for all, and we are complete in him. We don't have to add any of these other things. It's Jesus plus nothing. And I think that the worship that Kevin's going to lead us through will remind you of these things and declare these things, and we can celebrate and focus on the promises of God and the fullness of Christ. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture, and it can be really kind of front and center for all of us. It's different for all of us. All of our hearts are full of different things. We come from different places. We have different paradigms and different families, and we bring all that baggage with us sometimes in these forms that Paul calls these basic principles or elemental spirits. Help us, Lord God, to shed those things. We're so free. We don't need any of those kinds of things. Inside or outside the church is such a distraction, and they undermine us. And they get so in the way, Lord. So help us to shed these things from our lives and cling to you, the fullness of Christ, and focus on the completeness we have in Christ. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us further into the great mystery. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.